Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. Welcome. It's the place where artists can talk openly and honestly about their story of being a voice in music. Callum Scott is our guest today. Callum started to become a name in 2015 when he was a memorable part of Britain's Got Talent. He's released two albums, 2018's Only Human and last year's Bridges, and recently featured on a couple of banging collaborations with Jax Jones. Now, Callum has released his brand new single, At Your Worst, an exceptionally fluid and calming track about self-awareness, acceptance, and what a healthy relationship can sometimes look like. So go and stream At Your Worst right now or after the episode. Callum has talked openly about his life, his struggle in coming out and how his sister has been such an integral part of his career in music. So I knew Callum would be an open book when talking honestly and openly about his journey. But I didn't expect some of the brilliant stories he tells here on this episode of 101 Part-Time Jobs. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, if you like this podcast, please remember to leave a review or give it a five-star rating. Reviews and ratings are so incredibly helpful to the podcast and me. My dream is to keep interviewing the most interesting artists about their lives and about their careers and their struggles and their journeys and the happy times, all of it. And reviews and ratings make that dream of mine become a reality. So thank you so much if you're able to leave a review or rate this episode and this podcast. Back to the show. I spoke with Callum last week, the night before his new single, At Your Worst, hit the world. And here's our chat. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. Here's Callum Scott. You've been running around. Where have you just landed? Uh, just here in Austria. Uh, I'm here to play a gig uh, supporting Robert Williams tomorrow night. Uh, which incredible. is bizarre. I feel like I'm completing the Take That Circle because obviously I played with Take That at the King's Coronation and, and at Hyde Park and now I'm playing with Robbie in Vienna. Yeah. I just have to find Jason and collaborate with him somehow and then I've made the full... I've, I've become Take That, essentially. And the single, and at your worst, comes out tomorrow. So playing the gig a night before the new single, that's got to feel pretty special. Your acting, yeah. all cylinders go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we're at a point now. I feel like in my career where it's just like you say, firing on all cylinders mm. here, there, and everywhere. Like I, I go home to do laundry and to see my friends and family for a day, and like, when do you stop? And I'm like, when I die, yeah. essentially. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm 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 absolutely buzzing to have brand new music out. This will be my first single since my last album campaign um, on the second album, um, Bridges. So yeah, I've been touring that album for now. 14, 15 months on and off. Yeah. Um, and to have straight brand new music out straight out the straight out of the third album. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's wild. And at your worst, it's such a tune. It's a real, it's a real pick-me-up, which is interesting with the lyrics. Because I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I I believe that like the lyrics are about you know, having anxieties, having that stress, having those worries, you know, you come home from wherever you've been and you thought, oh, did that thing that I said, did that offend someone? Did I, did I look like the idiot in the room? And having a, you know, a friend or a partner who accepts you for who you are. I mean, I think that's really interesting in the, con you know, in the, in the context of 101 part-time jobs, 
which is all really about what it means to be an artist today. You know, for lots of people that is working side hustles, a lot of people in rock bands are doing that. For other people, it's more of like an attitude and more of like, you know, who you're working with, who's your team, are you, you know, what's your vision. I mean, that's really like this whole conversation. And yeah. that's having that worry or call it self-doubt, call it, you know, reflection. Um, it seems that all artists have that. Which is, yeah. which is an ironic thing in so many ways, because when, when you go see an artist, when I go see an artist, you see someone on stage and you think, oh, they're, they're the most confident person ever. They know exactly what they're doing. For a lot of people, uh, Giles, it is, um, I wouldn't say a, a, a front, but it's definitely switched on. Mm -hmm. um, I speak on behalf of myself and various people I've met in the industry that, that they need to just switch it on. It's, it's not necessarily as natural as it looks up there on stage. Don't get me wrong, we're enjoying ourselves when we're up there. We're doing a, love, a job we love. But yeah, that confidence in some part has to be switched on because it is a, as much as it is my dream job and I absolutely love doing this job and used to work in human resources dreaming of doing what I do now. Mm. So it makes me all the more grateful for it. But like every job, it has its ups and downs. And I think... You know, one of the things that I struggle with or had struggled with in the past is is just the amount of time you're away from home, what you have to give up to be able to do this job. Um, and also like the anxieties of, you know, new music, performing on stage, collaborations, live TV performances. Yeah. You know, all these things are like incredible things for us to do as artists, but it all comes with its own little package of anxiety, um, all neatly presented with a little bow, which is lovely to get into. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I think it's the, it's the trade-off. I mean, like I said, I used to dream of doing this and I, I probably thought at the time, like, oh, you know, it's just amazing. You get to travel the world and sing these songs to people and perform on TV. And then you get into it and you realise that it, it's, especially when you care as deeply as I do about my music, you want to give the best uh, performance, you want to give the best show, you want to give the best collaboration, whatever it is. And that puts you under, you, especially somebody like myself, heavy scrutinization in, internally. Mm. You know, and that's not even before you've given it to people to, to, to love and to criticize in the same vein. So, yeah, it's, I think for me, um, it, it is, it's everything you said. It's the mindset. It's the working, the other jobs. I mean, luckily I'm in a position now where, um, I'm traveling the world and I'm doing what I do. Um, and able to, to make ends meet. But, you know, I was, I was working in HR for eight years dealing with complaints from bloody Cheryl about off street parking. Uh, and now I'm like singing to the king with pop royalty and <laughs> releasing collaborations across the way. It's mad. Um, so let's go back there working at HR. What do you think you were like to work with? What would your colleagues, what would your mates say at work? Uh, did say I was a joy, probably, Giles. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I've yes. always been like, I've always been uh, somebody who wants to please. Um, and so I've always just tried to be the best version of myself I can. Um, I do remember in one particular instance that I was I was not the most liked person in the council. So what had happened was I was entering some information to a spreadsheet and it was basically everybody in the council who worked for the council, it was their mileage and their subsistence, so like things that they had to buy for their jobs or whatever. And obviously that ranges from person to person. If you're a CEO travelling around the UK, taking meetings, staying in hotel rooms, 
your bill is going to be substantially different from somebody who has to just buy a couple of cleaning supplies for the office, right? Mm. And I'd entered all this information, various amounts of, you know, £10,000, 20 quid, 2500 all these things. And whilst I was working on it, I must have been distracted and the columns slipped. And I didn't realise and I just thought, it looks about right. Press save, submitted it. Um, it cost the council 250 grand. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, my, my, my name was Muck. Um, for a little while. I mean, they was able to recall all the money. Poor, poor Cheryl, having a £10,500 bonus in her bank that, that month, probably went out and spent it on a holiday. And there's the CEO of the council sat there with 20 quid going, well, something's oh, gone wrong. Oh, yeah. my Lord. You know what? Yeah. That must happen so often. I mean, yeah, things like that happen all the time. They, they're able to recall the money and stuff. But yeah. I was not the most liked person, Giles, I'm telling that you. Not the most liked person. You had to go start making your tea or coffee at a different yeah, staggered times. Uh, I was on tea duty for a long time. But <laughs> bring it, bringing it back to music, like, you know, all the time that I was sat at my desk, I was I was dreaming of doing what I do now. And in some ways, I'd kind of already started that process. I'd, uh, my sister, going back to the, like, my origins of singing, my sister um, entered me into a, into a local karaoke competition, yeah. um, a working men's club. Uh, she didn't tell me that she was going to do that, Giles. So, as, as you can imagine, I had some stern words for her. Well, I won't repeat it on the podcast. <laughs> um, tried to escape out the bathroom window. That wasn't happening. Uh, and so I just had to face facts. And I was like, I'm going to have to do this. And I stood on stage. There was about 10 people in there, just a little boozer. Um, and I sang Paolo Nottini's Last Request, something that I'd been like singing in my bedroom, pretending I was, you know, a pop star, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and sang it and just got the most incredible reception, even from just 10 people. And that was where my dreams was born of singing and wanting to perform live. And ever since then, I was, you know, kind of chasing that. Me and my sister applied for a couple of local competitions, came third one year, won the next. I joined a tribute band to Maroon 5. Yeah. Um, I'd applied for X Factor. Uh, all these different little milestones in my journey whilst I was working this HR job. And then obviously... I applied for uh, Britain's Got Talent with my sister in 2015 and and then I left the council. Uh, but even when I left the council, I went on a career break. So like a year, in, get, get, imagine that. So a year into me being, you know, I, I left the show, I got signed. Yeah. I released that yeah. on my own. It came number two in the UK charts. It had blown up everywhere across the world. And then a year later to the, my audition bit, the council wrote me a letter saying, Hey, um, we're expecting you back soon. Um, you know, I'm, when, when can we expect you to be in work? And I was just like, I don't think I'm going to be coming back. <laughs> Do you know what I think one of the most beautiful things and, you know, read lots of interviews and seen lots of interviews with you is how close you are with your sister. You know, not everyone is is close with their siblings. I, I grew apart from my siblings in my 20s and now I'm trying to kind of call that back a little bit. And, you know, it, I think it's rare. I think it's rare to be such good friends with, with your sibling. Yeah, do you know what? It's, uh, even, on, even on the topic of siblings, like I know maybe two people in my friendship group whose mum and dad are still together. Siblings are from the same parents. Um, it, it seems more of a norm to sort of have a broken family these days. And family is what it is. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about that. I, I love that my family has morphed and changed over the years. And, and, and 
like you said, I love my family. I've got an amazing relationship with my sister. Uh, it's not always been like that. I mean, I'm the big brother. She's the little sister. She's forever been annoying to me. Um, but I love her with all my heart. And she was the person who believed in me from the very beginning. She pushed me. Um, like after, after X Factor, I didn't get through, which ironically was the year that Gary was on there. Um, so it's weird how things come full circle, but yeah, yeah I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't interested in, in that route anymore. I was like, I was, I was in my Maroon 4 band yeah. and we were, we were, we were, we were going to be, you know, the next sort of big tribute band. And there was a lot of things bubbling around. And then she was the person who pushed me for Britain's Got Talent. She was like, please, it's different. It's a different format. We, you know, we could, we could go on as a duet, we'd rehearse as a duet. And she was the one who really pushed it, even when I was not interested. So, you know, and even since then, I mean, I must admit, obviously, the way the audition went, my sister was in a bit of a tough place with it because somebody who would pushed me to achieve my dreams had gone on, on, on the same opportunity as me and had the polar opposite result. But ever since then, she's been so amazing and I've brought her into my world and she's opened for shows for me in London and, and in Hull in my hometown. She, uh, We went writing together in Nashville. You know, right. I, I, I help her in any way I can. And, Brilliant. you know, we've got, a, we've got a beautiful relationship, yeah, even if she is the annoying little sister 90% <laughs> of the time. <laughs> you grew up skateboarding and BMXing, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. I've got injuries to show and dislocated shoulder and scabs all over my knees. Um, I think the thing about doing that stuff is you, this might sound a bit like hippie, but you start seeing like ledges and marble bits and staircases. You, you see them differently to, to how other people see them. You think that is a place for art, like self-expression. A hundred percent where somebody would just see a staircase. I would see a challenge. Yeah. And it's interesting. And now as well, like you see, you see less and less of it these days, which is a bit sad, but like you'd see uh, ledges with wax that somebody had gone to a skate shop and bought a lot of wax and waxed yeah. it up for a grind. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting as well that as you get older, you just go, I don't think I could put my body through that anymore. Because <laughs> one thing that skateboarding and BMXing and music has in common is that you have to be able to fail. Like in skateboarding, if you you know, riding along and you think it's going to be all hunky-dory and you're never going to fall off. You're never going to, you're never going to progress because skateboarding and, and, and X Games, I suppose, is just about pushing your boundaries of what you're capable of. And in order to, to achieve that, you have to fail. Mm. You know, the, there's, it's, especially when you see, I follow tons of skateboarding um, profiles on, on social media and you see somebody do this beautiful 360 flip over like a 10 stair set and you're just like, oh my God, it just looks so easy. But yeah. then you don't see the hours and hours and agony and pain and injuries that this person's been through to achieve that. And it's much like music, you know, people, especially back home, my, my mates will be like, you got it easy. You know, you just get up there and sing and you've always had it easy. And I'm like, I, I don't think you realise, like it's like the tip of an iceberg. You don't see how many nerves I got through my career, how many times that I'd gone to a record label and I'd, like, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to sign to your label. And it was a nerd. It was a door in my face, and, mm. you know, trying to struggle for a chart position and getting knocked down and, you know, pushing and pushing and pushing the boundary of, of, of my ability. Mm. Um, and, you know, yes, of course, now I sit here and I've, I'm probably more confident, more content in my career than I ever have been, but that's been through grueling, like, falls and 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 bails and 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 injuries and whatever else 
Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite interesting that 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 kind of stuff has kind of guided me loosely into into the industry I'm in. It's very relatable. I'm sure everyone listening to this has their own story of overcoming adversities or you know being in a, being in a tough spot and working through that. Now, especially more than ever, just people's emotions and people's stories. There's it's so transparent. You know, whether it's like a music magazine or something like this, or you know, the, the generation Gen Z is very good about like you know, like uh, calling friends out if maybe they're acting up, or you know, there's this transparency that's really here now. It's a very powerful thing, and yeah. there's a lot of love that can make the world around you a much better place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, social media is pinnacle for that, I think. Um, and even though there's some darkness, uh, well, there's a lot of darkness on social media, depending where you're looking, but there's a lot of light and there's a lot of hope and uh, people are more connected than they've ever been. You know, for example, you know, uh, I, I struggled a lot with mental health when I was when I was younger and you would, without social media, you would only be surrounded by the people that was around you. And if they weren't listening or you didn't feel confident to talk to them, where would you turn? You know what I mean? And it's like, especially, I don't know about the rest of the, the country, but especially in the North, it was kind of like, a, oh, come on, get on with it. You know, yeah. don't be so soft. Mm. And so you just naturally kind of shielded yourself and, and locked people out. And um, these days it does feel like the internet um, is definitely a place where you can express, um, you know, even if it's not outwardly in terms of I'm feeling like this, just ah, in general, you know, TikToks yeah. and videos and, you know, and I, th I think more than ever, people are turning to social media and the power of the internet to, to express themselves. You know, I've seen tons of people be vulnerable um, on 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 camera, and it's had virality that you won't believe. Um, there's a specific uh, uh, ex-veteran that I that I keep seeing. Um, I think he's called Ben, and he's this young bloke who was sort of answering questions about his time in the in the forces. And he goes to speak about one of his, uh, one of his, you know, um, one of his, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the guy that he served with. Um, and unfortunately, that guy had, had passed away and he was incredibly, visibly moved and, and upset and talked about it very openly about his PTSD. And the virality of that video just surged. And I think it's because when people see something real, and especially if it's very human, the power of that video is is felt by so many people because it's not just his story. It's stories, mm. you know, that people share across the world. And I think people are keen to share that and comment. And that's where you find a lot of light, I find. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, I'm very, I'm, you know, honoured that my music has followed that kind of pattern of being shared because of its message or because of what i've tried to get across be it in the music video or in the lyric and that's all i've ever wanted to do giles is just help people yeah. i mean i remember before music was a was a was a, a glint in my eye i used to want to be a uh uh well one one time i wanted to be a physiotherapist probably because of all the injuries i had but then i wanted to go into counseling and help people because i'd i'd already felt the the weight of the world on my shoulders at that point as a young adult struggling with their identity struggling with acceptance um you know kind of internalized homophobia you know i was getting really down on myself about a lot of things mm. um and i'd you know i i'd i turned to therapy and i went with my mom for my first counseling session and and then started going every week until i felt better and you know 
in that experience, I've been able to transform what I'd been through through music into hope mm. and light. And it just gives me great honour to go around the world singing these songs, like with Bridges, the, the title of the album, uh, and also one of the, the, the title songs. You know, I'm going around the world talking about when I felt suicidal, and that is a heavy topic, but it is a topic that I feel so strongly about talking about because you just see it too often. You see people throwing their lives away because of the darkness in their world. And, you know, even if me just going around the world sort of singing about that, kind of raising it to, the people's, to people's forefront of their mind and just saying, like, if darkness is there, please talk to somebody, you know. If that, you know, that that feels like purpose to me, you know, um, which, I, like I said, just feel so honoured to be able to do. Life's got a funny way of giving you hope, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, when you, it's an old saying, but it's true. It's a problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah. A hundred percent. You see, you see that in my shows. Um, it's quite interesting because you work on these songs, be it, you know, born from sadness or loss or, you know, mental health issues, or I do also write about joy and triumph and stuff like that. But for the purposes of what I'm talking about, you know, it's born from those moments and then you put it out there. And people, you know, you don't, of course I see comments and people sharing my music, but you don't know how that's affecting somebody when they're listening to it in their headphones, right? Yeah. And then when you, then when people come to a show, you're, you, you, you sing that song and you're seeing hundreds of faces singing that song back to you and they all have an individual moment with that song that's personal to them. And you just realise that you're involved in something much bigger than yourself. You know, I call it Harry Potter kind of magic. Because you're sharing in a moment live and right there in front of you with people who might have used that song to really overcome some massive, you know, some massive things in their lives. And, you know, for me to be the conductor of that medicine almost, I mean, what a, what a privilege and what an honour um, and something I take incredibly seriously, you know, um, hearing people's stories from my fans about how my music has helped them come to terms with their sexuality or has helped them through depression or losing losing a, a loved one or, you know, helps them. I, I even had a lady who brought a sign saying, uh, rise, helped me beat cancer. And I'm just sat there and I'm just like, it. it's it's the highest compliment I can receive. It's better than any chat position, any, you know, however many million streams. It's, it's for me, the full purpose of what I do, what I do. Grown up in Hull, what were your opportunities, you know, after school, you know, at 16 or 18, if you stayed on for that, what, what, what was life looking like? You know what? Yeah. What kind of opportunities were you, were you getting? Um, coming from a small town like Hull, I mean, there's only about 250,000 people up in Hull. Um, it's up and coming though, isn't it? Last time I checked. Yeah. It's up and coming now. Yeah. I'd like to feel like me flying the whole flag has helped. City of Culture 2017 definitely helped as well. But um, I saw all whole people. Well, we were the City of Culture in 2017. Um, but, you know, I think coming from a city like that, it, it's, it's, it feels small. It does. It feels small. Um, and I feel like people growing up there kind of go, I need to get into a trade and I need to get into a proper job. And, you know, even like with music and the arts, like, I don't know if it, anybody else has experienced, but for mine, it was definitely like, oh, well, music's not a proper job. You know, it's something that I can enjoy doing at the pub on a night and be, you know, open mic and, you know, singing, singing my songs and stuff. But you never think that it's going to be a, like a proper job in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so like your opportunities kind of 
are within that bubble of your of your city. Um, the more adventurous people would obviously go, and, you know, university in different different cities, and people go to Leeds or Manchester, Liverpool, London, whatever. But I feel like for Hull, it feels like it's it's a it's a city that that feels quite like you know full of home beds that just want to be in the city that they grew up in. Mm. I think people are probably scared of taking a bigger jump because you know the what you know as a kid growing up in Hull is so restricted to just that little area, and plus it's not a through city. You know, it's not Manchester or mm. or, or a, a city where you, people are coming in and out, and it's you know people are. Uh, 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 diversifying where they live and work holes kind of end of the road and I love it for that reason because it becomes a bit of a sanctuary and a little bit of a safe haven but mm. it also feels like it limits in some ways as well um, took that talking from when I was younger but obviously now it's it's opened its doors and it's working with people to try and make transport links in and out even easier and inviting people to come and see shows there's a, an amazing festival that we have up there called Freedom Fest and Humber Street Session, all these amazing festivals that are bringing in talent. Um, and it, it's, you know, I'm proud of my city, I always will be. Um, but yeah, of course, younger younger me felt like it was a little bit, it was scary to go to London, for example. Yeah. Uh, whereas now I'm, in, I'm you know, part-time living there. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting how things change. Do you remember a moment where you thought, yeah, I'm going to, you know, there was that moment where your, your sister heard you singing in the next room or singing in the shower and, and then, get, you know, get, took you down to the working men's club to do a surprise karaoke. I mean, that's obviously a huge moment. Are there any other moments around that time or before then that, you know, you were kind of quizzing yourself, you were testing yourself, like, am I, you know, pu pushing yourself to sing, pushing yourself to be an artist? Yeah, I mean, the early days, uh, singing was just uh, a feel-good little side hobby that nobody knew about. I mean, singing for in its nature is very much heart on your sleeve. You can't really change the way you sound. So it's kind of like, uh, if you don't like it, then it's it almost feels like a direct insult. You know what I mean? Because it's just so yeah, personal yeah. and it's something you can't change. Um, and so when I first started singing, I was singing covers in my bedroom I was trying to emulate people like Michael Bublé, Ed Sheeran. Um, I was I was trying to sort of go that kind of um, kind of like Rat Pack almost like vibe, yeah. Um, yeah. just because it felt like more safe, I suppose. Um, and there's a bit of class to that. Yeah, it's just a bit classy and a little bit, you know, it's 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 you know, it's 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 a bit slower and it's a little bit more sort of, it's a bit easier to catch a melody like fly me to the moon. It's very classic. You know? <laughs> so I started doing stuff like that. And then when I started to take it seriously is when I started to doubt myself, which is it's bizarre. When I started to really care um, and I took away the kind of carefree attitude and I was like, no, I really want to dig into this mm. was as soon as self doubt started jumping in. And I used to have to, like you just said, I, ha I used to have to get myself to sing because I was almost so, so critical of myself that I'd become my own worst enemy. Mm. And I would sit in my studio that I'd made in my mum's back bedroom, a couple of speakers and a laptop and a keyboard, and I'd be like, I need to find some uniqueness to what I do. I need to stop trying to sound like Robbie Williams and Michael Bublé and, you know, and, and, and really try and push myself because who is Callum Scott? 
Mm. And I had found this beautiful uh, piano kind of uh, arrangement of Dance on My Own. Uh, this young kid had, had, had put his own sort of piano arrangement down. And I was like, that is really smart. Um, you know, and I'd started singing with the the relatability of the lyrics of being in the corner watching everybody else get boyfriends and girlfriends and me sat there like, well, it looks like I'm going home with, you know, to a Pop-Tart, just me me and my Pop-Tart at, at midnight. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd had that relatability and that pain of kind of unrequited love and just sang it. And I remember recording it being like, oh, there's something special there that I've never really caught onto before, like a, a uniqueness, me me effectively changing something to make it my own. Mm. And I showed my mum, my mum burst into tears, my sister too, and I thought I've stumbled onto something here. And that's, that's then where I started to kind of start changing music and, you know, getting a, a, a song originally by a female, making it male or changing the key, changing the tempo mm. um, and really started to hone in on what I wanted to get across as an artist. And, you know, slowly but surely I started to find my rhythm. Um, but it wasn't always easy and it still isn't today. I mean, even if I, it, it, talking about it now, I'm, I'm saying it as if it was a, you know, it's all like, a, oh, well, I've overcome that. I still, even to this day, will be in a studio and I'll be like, it's the only reason why I don't write solo because I just can't, I can't write something down and not criticise it. I'll write something and I'll be like, oh, that's, that's crap and I'll throw it in the bin and I'll be so self-critical that it becomes disruptive to the process. So that's why I need other people kind of in and around going, no, that's a great idea, let's, ca- let's carry on with that. And it's funny, that's kind of how I, At Your Worst was born. We walked into the studio and I'd been arguing with people. I'd be, I've been away a lot like over the last 14 months touring and that puts stresses on relationships and friendships and family. And yeah. I started using people at home as a bit of a punching bag, which is never right. Um, just arguing and stressing out. Mm. And I'd come off the phone and I'd had five minutes and I was like, oh, I was a bit of a dick then. And I turned around to my producer, John, who I'd uh, written You Are The Reason with and a lot of my uh, songs with. And I just said, he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just know that sometimes I can be quite hard to love. And he was like, "What? Where? Where? where's my laptop? He's like pulling up in a session, like writing things down. I was like, I just know that sometimes I can be difficult to love. It can be hard to love me. Um, and he, we just started delving into that that whole process. I would have said that and thought nothing of it. Yeah. And I just said it kind of flippantly, but he kind of helps hone in. He's like, the, I always say he's the Bernie talking to my Elton John. He's the person that can guide me and channel me through sort of the insecurities I feel about my own writing, about my own performing. And he allows me to express. And, you know, I I, I, I feel like I owe my career to John. He's, he's, he's an incredible producer, an incredible person. Um, and like I said, that's how that was born. So even these days, I still face the same insecurities that I felt back then. I've just had some success along the way. <laughs> that is a wonderful story. Thank you so much for telling us. That's, oh, you're that's welcome. a beautiful story. One hundred one part-time jobs. 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 I mean, quite often those profound but simple feelings you can look over, right? Because Maybe they're so obvious, but 
you got to sort of have you find a reminder or try and remind yourself that you and yourself, everyone is very special. Everyone has their own special, their special personality, their special lives, you know, and that is, that's the thing that when you hear a song and you feel connected to it, I think that's where the gemstone is. 100%. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, when you write a song, no matter what you thought of when you wrote it, as soon as you put it out there, somebody will reinterpret that or understand it in a different way. And I think that's the beauty of music mm. is, you know, like, for example, you were the reason when we first started writing that, it very much for me felt like it was a, an ode to my grand, grandma, my grandma. You know, she was the person I looked up to, you know, the most. She's She was an incredible woman. I feel like she helped raise me to the to the man I am today, obviously with my mom and with other people in my family, but my grandma was always a very matriarchal figure in, in the family. And you, the reason was kind of my, my, my love letter to my grandma. Like she was the reason that I was who I was. Um, and yet you put it out there and people are getting married to this song. Yeah. You know, another beautiful story I had was when I was in uh, America, I was uh, touring my first album and I'd written my basic coming out story, which was called No Matter What. It was very much me coming out to my friends, kind of being abandoned, coming out to my mom, being loved and, and showing the two sides of the story, right? Mm. And I spoke to this lady and she was like, oh my God, I love your music, especially No Matter What, that really hits home. And I half expected her, kind of assumed that she would have had a kid or her, her own experience of, of like an LGBTQ plus story. And she said, my son is only three years old, four years old. And she said, uh, she said he's had to have numerous uh, operations on his, on his heart in his very short life. Um, and, you know, even though he can't run around with all the other kids and he can't play and, and all that kind of stuff, I still love him no matter what. And I was just like, wow, it's just, it's just magic that somebody is able to take music or art and see it and reference it to their own lives and still yeah. it's, it just, it, that's why I call it Harry Potter magic, man, because <laughs> how do you quantify that? That's, that's just, it's just beautiful. It's the great communicator. Yeah, it is. Music is understood in any language, even if it's not understood by lyric, it's mm. understood by feeling it's understood by, I mean, I keep watching this clip that I get serviced from, a, it must be a cinema or a theater where they're playing the score to Harry Potter in a really famous scene where you find out. It's because you're saying the Harry Potter magic all the time. Your phone's listening to you. That's what I mean. It must be, but I keep getting served this beautiful thing where an orchestra is playing the soundtrack and it's just dialogue and this orchestra and you just, every swell of those violins, you're just like, oh my God. Is that the Home Alone soundtrack? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's just, it music transcends language and it is the universal thing that I think every person on the planet um, can understand. So after Bridges last year, this year you've had a couple of incredible tracks with Jax Jones, yeah. Whistle, and uh, they're, they're, they're so great. They work so well together. Uh, tell me about tell me about meeting Jax and like hitting it off because it, it just it sounds so right. Oh man, it's, it, Jax is such a, a lovely person, um, such a lovely family guy, loves his wife, loves his kids. Um, and I could just detect that. I just felt that energy when we met. Um, we actually met through uh, Instagram. I obviously massive fan of Jax. Um, but Jax had started teasing this song 
And it was a song that felt really familiar to me. And I was like, where have I heard that before? And the music industry is tiny. So demos get flying around and people know people who know people. Anyway, I'd already vocaled this, this song before. And I was like, oh my God, I've, I've sang this song. So I like messaged him and I'm like, bro, listen, <laughs> I've vocaled this. I don't know if you've heard it, but like we've got to work on this together. It's like, I've heard it, sounds great, let's get you on it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Somebody jumping in somebody's DMs, and obviously there was a little bit of label intervention or whatever else, but essentially it came from me loving what Jax did, having had a little bit of a moment with that song before, but it just it ended up like taking the fans on this journey in a bit of a real-time kind of way, yeah. which was just so amazing, man, just bringing everybody on the journey with us, and we went to Abbey Road and we recorded the song, and... Yeah. It's just been amazing. And then since then, we've performed it on the on the BAFTAs. We've performed it on Love Island. Um, yeah, it's just been such an amazing. And and like I said earlier, Jax is such a family guy. We have that really in common. His missus is from Grimsby, literally over the over the bridge from me. Yeah. So we just got we just that it felt like you were touring around with your mate performing this on stage with your mate, which is just it's just amazing, man. Perfect. Perfect. Callum, i got one last question. Yes. You really answered it. The first thing you said practically was, right. I, I love hearing those stories of work fails, work gaffes, you yeah. know, <laughs> kind of putting your foot in it. Yeah. Do you have, I'm putting you on the spot here, but have you got any other memories of, of time at work or it could be play, playing a music? Because here's the thing, here's the reason why I think it's like, and it, it's a funny question, sure. I think it's a, an important one because you learn the most from your mistakes yeah. and we touched on it earlier. That's, that's like kind of a painful process. Growing is painful. There's that anecdote, you know, there's the, the analogy of the, the crab when it gets too big for its shell shell. It's like trying to get out. It's really painful. And, and it eventually gets out of its shell after a lot of pain and leaves its little exoskeleton behind. It's cute, isn't it? <laughs> and then grows a new shell. And like that, that you know, that's silly, but it's an analogy for life. So those kinds of mistakes, you know, those funny mistakes with hindsight, have you, have you got, have you got another one for us? Oh yeah. You have put me on the spot. Yeah. I mean, obviously that work one was, was horrendous. Um, do you know what? There's there's been a couple of times where I've been on stage and completely messed up. Um, the most memorable, which I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you can see it on YouTube if you type in uh, Cam Scott Final. There's a, a, a performance of Diamond, and I was so nervous. Um, and I think it's because I had literally the bookies telling me I found out the bookies had, it was, I was favourite to win the show somebody had had put 10 grand on me winning at the bookies there, there was a lot of like pressure mm. and I was singing diamonds and I just got it wrong I just in that moment I just got it wrong and I kind of coughed and looked at the floor and it was really for a second it's really painful and I can't watch it back because it's just it cringes me out so hard but I kind of pulled it around and sang the rest of the song like my life depended on it. And I feel like that kind of took away that sort of cringe factor of it. But that has given me the biggest lesson ever because since people muck up all the time, I hear it with live artists where they just forget the words and they just either get the crowd to sing it or they just go, just one minute. I mean, Adele is 
perfect for it. If she comes in and she's a bit flat, she'll just go, I'm sorry, that was absolutely crap. Can we start again? <laughs> and I've got so much time for that. Yeah. Um, it, it happens not so long ago in my live shows where uh, some some guy, I was, I was explaining about flaws, about it was a song about inspired by my sister, who, you know, started getting really down herself for the way that she looked. And I said, well, you should love yourself, flaws and all. Anyway, that song came about. I tell that story at my show and we're in Scotland and this guy goes, I said, you know, my sister was getting down on herself. She said she didn't feel that she was as pretty as everybody else that she saw online. And this guy, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Of course. Stop allowed to. But he goes, fuck them. And I laughed and everybody laughed because he said it so starkly. And I was like, I was like, yeah, fuck them. She's beautiful. Yeah. I started singing the song and <laughs> That just reverberated around in my head, and I was like, I came to do the second verse, and all I could hear was this guy going, Fuck him. Just <laughs> reverberating around my head, and I was like, I don't know the second verse. I'm so sorry. Everybody started cheering. It was so it was so funny that I was just like, we had a little bit of a everybody was just absolutely laughing. I came back to it, remembered it. But it just goes to show that you can make mistakes in this business and I, I, I almost feel like in some way it makes you more human. I kind of try not to worry myself too much about, you know, oh, I've got it. I need it to be absolutely perfect. Sometimes if I forget the words, people just absolutely love it. Probably more than if it had been a pitch perfect performance. Well, first of all, it makes it special. And second of all, as like a human to human, we want to back each other. We want to support each other. And that in a way gives the, uh, like the possibility to back someone, you know, that opens up the doors to back someone. A hundred percent. Cause you just go, oh, well, they're just like me. Yeah. You know, they're just as human as, cause you do, you, you put, you put them on a pedestal and you go, oh my God, they're incredible. I mean, like Beyonce, for example, perfect example who can fail and just get back up as if it was choreography. Yeah. I mean, I've seen her fly down the stage chest first, down numerous stairs, and you're like, oh my God. And she whips her hair back and she starts singing the song, like, and the one where she gets her hair caught in the fan and she's still yeah. singing like crazy. Yeah. Dave Grohl falling off stage, breaking his leg, still yeah. sat there singing. Yeah. People, people want to back the person, like the dark horse, you know what I mean? People, when they get back on the horse, it's just, it's just an amazing thing, isn't it? It's inspiring. 100%. 100%. It just, we're all human at the end of the day, and I think people like that. People feel related to that, you know? it's true Callum thank you so much for being up for this at your work so welcome tomorrow well it's well you know by the time this goes out it'll be out last week it's such a banger it's such thank a thank you so much thank it's been great so to chat much. yeah I, thank you so much Jeanette, to anybody listening to this podcast thank you so much for for taking the time to hear all of my terrible anecdotes <laughs> uh, and thank you to, to you and to your podcast for allowing me the time to appear on this one um, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you so much Charles so there he was, the delightful Callum Scott here in 101 Part-Time Jobs. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review or give it a five-star rating. That stuff helps immensely. I'm going to go back to my usual routine of doing episodes Tuesdays and Thursday in a couple of weeks because this week we've got episodes almost every day of the week in fact every day of the week i do all different kinds of music here from rock to folk to indie to pop so if that's your kind of bag remember to subscribe to get notified cheers have a great rest of your day